0: From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And welcome back once again to the Cannabis Podcast. If this happens to be your very first time visiting us, well, I'm excited that you came along for the ride. Hopefully, you'll enjoy yourself for the next 30 minutes filled with information about cannabis. What a surprise. The Cannabis Podcast would have information on cannabis. The irony is just rife. Okay, there's not much irony there, but I'm rambling a bit. That's because I'm already appropriately uh, enabled for the program. I have already done Cultivar Corner, and as a result of that Cultivar Corner, that's kind of what's given me my buzz to get this episode started. Let's talk about what we got coming up this week. I will take a look at a great article from Bleefly on something near and dear to all of us, and that is the entourage effect. We've talked about that a whole bunch, and they do a deep dive on the entourage effect. So we're looking forward to talking about that. Also, we're going to explore some revisions in cannabis taxonomy that comes from our friends at the Trichome Institute out in Colorado. They've been doing all kinds of work with cannabis for a number of years now, and they're now questioning whether or not we should be calling it indica and sativa. So we'll touch a little bit on that. We have a story from our friends at the Okanagan Z on some research happening to make better cannabis. And okay, there's some wine improvements there as well. And we are going to stop on Cultivar Corner to sample some of my recent harvest. We're lighting up some lamb's breath today. All of that and more is lined up for you today on episode 57 of the Cannabis Podcast. And let's cover off some housekeeping stuff before we dive into the details of this particular episode. I wanted to give a shout out to Kyle McPherson. Kyle left me a great review on Apple Podcasts all about the Cannabis Podcast. Thank you to that Kyle. Appreciate that you're along for the ride. Also, want to give a shout out to Matt. Matt is a BC truck driver who enjoys listening as he drives in his long hauls, and Matt also offered some great advice for us on, especially for home growers about some things that we might be able to do, fairly simple things, that will improve our grow next year. And I will share those in a future episode. I have Matt's permission to share that detail. Plus, he also sent some pictures of his grow that were very impressive. Impressive indeed. And a couple of other things I wanted to talk about. Uh, We do sell houseplant weed, uh, sell houseplant drinks as well in the store. And we were all stoked this last week because we had a Zoom call with the man himself, uh, both Seth Rogen and his business partner, Evan Goldberg, were on the call. And yes, we heard Seth laugh a number of times. <laughs> and we also heard his passion for cannabis and his passion for the growth of houseplant. They are just about to enter into the U.S. market where it is now expected to explode. It was a fun call to participate in. Hopefully, we'll, we'll ch- catch up with Seth sometime in the future as well. One of the things that I am always amazed with, and this is happening more frequently in the store, and that is the Arguments we're getting into, you don't often expect to get into an argument in a retail environment, but here we go. These are people who are coming into the store with their kids in tow. Like, you know, they're seven, eight, nine, 10-year-old kids just marching in behind them as they walk into the cannabis store to make their purchase. And of course, the first thing we do is stop them, turn them around, send them out of the store because only people 19 or older can be in the store. Now, the debate starts because they'll say, well, I can take them into the liquor store. How come I can't bring him in here? And, and I think if we go back in time when liquor stores first arrived in our environment, they were much the same as cannabis stores are now. A counter where you went up to, you made your selection, the clerk went into the back to pick up your bottle of booze or whatever it was and brought it out and away you went. And at that time, there were no kids allowed in liquor stores. And at some point, somehow or other, life changed and it became acceptable to take kids into a liquor store. Technically speaking, they are still only for people 19 years and older, but now it's only us in the cannabis world that really needs to enforce that. It causes just a whole bunch of arguments, and I really don't want to argue about it anymore. I wish people would get that idea. So let's forget about that, and let's move on to another topic that I want to talk about today, and that is the entourage effect. Now, this is an article from Leafly.ca, so I thank them for preparing this. Whether you are a seasoned canister, and in fact, I believe that is a uh, trademarked word. Uh, my buddy, Ian Power, who is the first Canadian uh, to purchase legal cannabis, has trademarked the term cannoisseur. So I'm not sure everybody's going to be able to use that term going forward. There you go, Ian. There's a shout out for you. Whether you are a seasoned cannoisseur or a newbie to the herb, you've probably heard about the entourage Effect. It's a phenomenon that refers to the synergy that takes place when THC, CBD, minor cannabinoids, and terpenes work together to provide health benefits. It's also frequently referred to as the whole plant medicine or whole plant synergy. And it rests on the premise that cannabis products with many diverse compounds can deliver health benefits that isolated cannabinoids and compounds on their own simply cannot. Professors Raphael Meshulam and Shimon Ben Shabbat first made a case for whole plant synergy back in 1998. And of course, Professor Raphael Meshulam is considered to be the father of cannabis, the one who originally figured out the whole taxonomy that we're going to talk about a little bit later and and how the plant evolves. Their research argued that the body's endocannabinoid system responds more favorably to whole plant cannabis extracts by increasing the activity of the two primary endocannabinoids. This potent synergy also hints at why botanical whole plant drugs are often more effective than drugs containing an isolated plant molecule. And we saw that with the artificially created THC that came out a few years ago, and it wasn't having the same effect as the THC was in the entourage effect. So these days, the entourage effect has become absorbed into the cannabis lexicon and is regularly splashed and across products with abandon. But what does that actually really entail? And how should we understand it now in light of emerging research? While a flurry of studies published within the last year have started digging deeper into the understanding of the phenomenon, researchers are investigating the distinctive compounds believed to provoke the entourage effect, with one study even questioning whether the entourage effect has been overpitched. According to some study findings, the mechanisms that drive the entourage effect are not as clear-cut as cannabis marketing would have us believe. Well, cannabis marketing will be a whole different discussion. There's a lot of things in cannabis marketing that we perhaps shouldn't actually believe. So, what do we really know about the entourage effect? Well, for starters, there is evidence that some cannabinoids boost the effects of other cannabinoids. For example, THC can enhance the therapeutic performance of CBD, and minor cannabinoids may contribute benefits too. In a study on breast cancer tissue in vitro and on test animals, the presence of minor cannabinoids improved the outcome. Cannabis extract was much more effective than THC isolate in tumor kill and growth reduction, said Dr. Ethan Russo, MD pioneering researcher on the entourage effect and founder, CEO of Science, The synergy of the cannabis extract could be accounted for by the presence of significant quantities of cannabigerol, CBG, and tetrahydrocannabinolic acid, THCA, in the extract, compared to the THC alone. Additionally, the study of CBD by itself versus an extract with a whole plant and CBD showed that the whole plant extract was just as effective at treating severe epilepsy, but with a 20% smaller dose, said Rousseau. But for Dr. Jordan Tischler, M.T., expert cannabis physician and instructor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, elements of the entourage effect have been proven, but overgeneralized. There is irreputable evidence, for example, that CBD modulates the effects of THC at the main receptor site. Therefore, the entourage effect is real, he said. The entourage effect also explains why pure THC is not particularly effective and whole plant cannabis is better, he said. However, he argues that the effects of the entourage effects have been extrapolated beyond the current evidence. Ideas that other chemicals are important for CBD to work are unsupported at present. Tisher also articulates that the role of minor cannabinoids, like CBG or CBN, is not yet fully understood in relation to THC or other cannabinoids. In other words, many molecules may play a role supporting the action of THC, but... This does not mean that they have a role supporting other cannabinoids, he said. As scientists take these nuances into account, new forms of understanding the entourage effect have been proposed. The entourage effect might more helpfully be understood as two distinct phenomena. The intra-entourage effect, referring to interactions between cannabinoids and terpenes, and the inter-entourage effect, which denotes cannabinoid-to-cannabinoid interactions and terpene-to-terpene interactions. While there's evidence to support an inter entourage effect, there's less research to support an intra-entourage effect. Well, what about terpenes? The general consensus is that terpenes are a critical player in the entourage effect. Research into cannabinoid terpene synergy, however, has been relatively scant until recently. A bundle of findings released within the past year suggest that terpenes may not contribute to the entourage effect in the way we've been led to believe. According to a study published in March of this year, Terpenes present in cannabis may not facilitate the entourage effect at all. Researchers found no evidence that five of the most common terpenes, myrcene, alpha and beta-pinene, beta-caryophyllene and limonene, facilitated an entourage effect by binding to the body's cannabinoid receptors. According to other research released this year, nor is there evidence that terpenes facilitate an intra-entourage effect when cannabinoids and terpenes work together by interacting with different cannabinoid pathways in the body. As is often the case with cannabis research however, these results aren't conclusive. In an April 2020 study on mice, researchers showed that three common cannabis terpenes, humulene, pinene, and geraniol, activated the CB1 receptor. The CB1 receptor is responsible for inducing physiological responses such as reduced pain perception. These terpenes kicked off CB1-specific physiological responses among the mice, suggesting that terpenes can offer therapeutic benefits. So is the entourage effect real? Tischer states the entourage effect is a real phenomenon that is misunderstood. At present, our understanding of the interaction of the entourage effect is greatly limited, he said. There isn't enough data to make specific products or recommendations based on other cannabinoids or terpenes. That doesn't mean there isn't whole plant alchemy occurring, but we haven't yet consolidated our understanding of the mechanisms at work. On a clinical level, products that are pure THC and CBD seem less effective than whole cannabis, suggesting that there is, are, indeed, other chemicals involved. It just remains unclear which and how they work, said Tischler. Well, there you go. We have talked about it a whole bunch, the entourage effect. I personally feel that The entourage effect works for me, and I think many of you would probably say the same thing about your experiences. Interesting to follow this study as it proceeds along. Is the entourage effect real? Some studies are indicating so, and perhaps not quite to the extent that some of us have considered in the past. What has been your experience? Does the entourage effect get you higher? We'll keep our eye on these studies and see how this information continues to evolve as we all find our own personal entourage effect. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner. Cultivar Corner. Oh, yeah. Cultivar Corner. Please explain this stuff to me. Oh, yes. Welcome back to Cultivar Corner. We're going to try to explain a little bit more stuff for you today. This one kind of a bit of an odd Cultivar Corner for a couple of reasons. I thought that I should probably do some of what I grew this last year. Uh, we already talked about the auto flowers that I grew, Lamb's breath and northern lights. Northern lights will leave for another time, but I thought Lamb's breath was probably an appropriate one to do because it is daytime. I'm recording this on a Friday, kind of getting ready just before Halloween. Thought this would be a good strain or a good cultivar to give a try to. Now, here's the odd part. <laughs> I talked about in my little grow session about how I grew some lamb's breath. And it was really stinky, like, oh, it, it's the most pungent cannabis that I have ever grown. I mean, you could really smell this strong, skunky smell, a little bit of cheese thrown in there for, for some variety as well. So I did grow that. I harvested that. I cured that. And then I smoked most of that. I think I got, as I mentioned before, I didn't get a whole lot of bounty. I think I got about two ounces out of it, maybe three ounces. And I proceeded to burn through that pretty fast. And then I also mentioned that we did to try a second grow. We thought, well, I got time. I planted, germinated a seed, I think in the beginning of August, planted it, popped it in the ground. And lo and behold, it it grew and it it grew some bud. Now, did it get as big as the last one? No, it didn't because it didn't have nearly enough time. It was in the ground for about nine weeks, I guess, nine, ten weeks. Uh, And then we had snow and we had a lot of weird stuff happen here in the Okanagan. It's been kind of a weird year. So what I am going to be sampling today is lamb's breath, but it is actually from the second lamb's breath plant. And I have been curing this. I have not tried this yet. So this is going to be a new experience for all of us. Let me give you a sense of what lamb's breath is. So these are some seeds that I picked up. And lamb's breath, of course, is a strain that can be traced back to Jamaica, where it grew in the wild. Now, more recently, this strain has become increasingly in demand, though it is a little difficult to get in North America. It is a strong sativa, and this strain will give you that exciting cerebral high, which is evident early on as the high starts to kick in. It also features a high content of THC ranging from 19 to 25 percent. And of course, I have not sent this off to a lab for testing. I did examine some of that, and it would cost about 1800 bucks. I figured out, to get any kind of cannabis tested. No, I don't have that kind of money that I'm going to throw into just testing some, some casual weed for me. So this is a Jamaican strain, and this was known to be one of Bob Marley's favorite strains. Known for its focus, its creativity, and its energetic properties. Great for reducing stress and anxiety, this Jamaican strain, a great way to start the day positively. And I figure this is a Friday. We need to start the day positively. So let's give it a hit. Now, let me give you a bit more explanation of, of the actual plant we're sampling here. So THC reference to be around 18%, thereabouts. Uh, it is again, a hybrid made up of 85% sativa, 10% ruderalis and 5% indica, just for a nice little match. And the flowering time for this guy is seven to nine weeks. And we did grow this outdoors. And it probably did that in about seven weeks this time. So how about we give it a try and let's see if it does go directly to my head and give me those happy eyes that I'm always thirsting for. So this is lamb's breath, the second crop from 2020 and that in itself may put this weed at a bit of a disadvantage because there's not a lot of things that have gone really well in 2020. So let's give it a try. Here is lamb's breath. Now I really got, I guess, two things that I'm exploring here today. And that is how far along has my cure gone on this particular plant? It's probably at about the four-week mark, I think, when I've been uh, curing this particular bud. So I suspect that could give me a bit of a problem in trying to keep this going, although so far it's so good. I'm going to give it one more flame, though, to make sure that I get a good buzz off of this. Oh, there we go. That was a better hit. So once again... The aroma on this one, really skunky and a bit cheesy. Uh, Probably the most (laughs) odiferous cannabis that I have grown so far. Uh, You could smell this whenever you got close to the the plant. If you simply brushed your fingers across the buds, your fingers were stinky for a, a number of minutes. So very prevalent nose on this guy. What's the hit? And yeah, I can see that I... Still got a bit of curing to do. It is remaining lit. And because we didn't use any fertilizer or anything like that in the growing process, I'm getting a nice white ash off the back of this. And the ash is hanging on pretty good, so I'm pleased from that perspective. And it has an interesting taste. It's not the same as the the skunky kind of cheesy smell that the flower has before you smoke it. It's kind of woody. There's a bit of sourness, some pine in there too, which is probably some piney in here. Uh, But what are the effects? More importantly, I think I'm at hit number three. Oh, see, now I do have to relight it again. So clearly it does have to finish the uh, cure a little bit more. Perhaps this is not a true test of what lamb's breath will do. Hmm. But nonetheless, it's the way we are kicking off a wake and bake Friday as we prepare episode 57 of this podcast. And there it is. I can feel my eyes starting to feel a little bit happy. Mmm. Oh, and there it is. <sighs> yep, I got them. <laughs> the happy eyes have arrived. <laughs> I was describing the happy eyes of my Toastmasters meeting the other day. Um, somehow or other, cannabis came up as a as a topic of conversation. And I was going through the process again of, you know, what what did, why do I get high? Why, why do I go through this process and kind of explain that it's, you no, know, I'm not trying to alleviate any pain. I'm not trying to alleviate any deficit in my life. Uh, as I've said before, I use cannabis as an enhancement to the things that I'm currently doing. And, in fact, it was lamb's breath that I had a toke up. Well, actually, a few tokes up before I was the toastmaster at the meeting yesterday, and uh, <laughs> had quite a good time of that. Just like I'm having a pretty good time now. You may realize that the cadence of my speech has changed ever so slightly with the high. Now, in the write-up, there's a couple of things that I perhaps would disagree with. Um, They talk about the buds being massive and filled with frosty trichomes. Well, there was a lot of trichomes on them. Took a look at with my jeweler's loop, of course, lots of nice trichomes on them. But I wouldn't say that the buds in this case were massive. And even on the first grow that I did a lamb's breath, the buds maybe got as big as my thumb. That's about as big as any of them got. Maybe I'll try it again next year. So I would not say that they are really huge buds. Uh, They definitely were a vibrant and pure green. So that was pretty cool. And they definitely have a pretty good effect because my happy eyes are here. I think I have now had enough preparation that I can get the rest of this podcast done today and hopefully present something that you enjoy listening to. So if you feel like growing your own and you want to get a taste of what Bob Marley perhaps might have been smoking when he was writing a lot of his hits, then I suggest you find Lamb's Breath, give it a try, grow some of your own and, and see if it gives you those same happy eyes. From the Cannabis Infused Studio in the Clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And what a perfect opportunity to talk about cannabis taxonomy. So I've mentioned a number of times over the existence of this podcast that I've done a lot of uh, education with the Tricom Institute out of Colorado. Uh, they're doing some fabulous work. They have a lot of great courses. And they've been trying to you know, keep the, our lexicon about the cannabis world up to date with what current research is. And this was a blog post that they published just this last week. Brandon Allen, one of the key guys at the Trichome Institute, who is the author of this. Cannabis taxonomy update. What do indica, sativa, and ruderalis mean? Now, this is a really detailed article. and I'm not going to dive into all of the details. I'm just going to kind of cover it from a higher level, the important points that I perceived in this particular article. You can read it for yourself. So when we use the word cannabis, what are we really talking about? Since the 1700s, there have been constant debate among taxonomists, researchers, and within the cannabis community on whether cannabis is a monotypic, a single species, or polytypic, multiple species genus. Now, in 2020, the Tricome Institute is settling on an answer based on recent research that changes the way we discuss cannabis taxonomy. After studying the research, including Robert Clark and Mark Merlin's influential 2013 book, Cannabis, evolution, and ethnobotany. Drichome Institute and many others gravitated towards identifying cannabis as polytypic. Clark and Merlin proposed that cannabis includes three species, indica, sativa, and ruderalis, with various subspecies. They further defined cannabis by dividing hemp and drug types and articulating a broad to narrow leaf spectrum based on the chemistry and physical attributes of each plant. More recent research suggests cannabis is, in fact, monotypic. Genetic Research from 2018 published in Frontiers in Plant Science, Latitudinal Adaptation and Genetic Insights into the Origins of Cannabis Sativa L states, Considering the distinctive polyogeographic structures and no reproductive isolation among members of these lineages, we recommend that cannabis be recognized as a monotypic genus, typified by Cannabis Sativa L, containing three subspecies, subspecies sativa, subspecies indica, and subspecies ruderalis. While considering the genetic research and now overwhelming evidence that cannabis is monotypic, the Trichome Institute is correcting how they discuss the taxonomy and speciation of cannabis. Previously, they described BLM, or broadleaf marijuana, as a plant-type dominant with characteristics stemming from cannabis indica, subspecies afghanica. Based on the monotypic taxonomy of cannabis, this would now be called cannabis sativa subspecies indica variety afghanica. So here's the changes to the cannabis terminology as they have outlined them. Currently, what we use, the commonly referred to term as indica is incorrect. It should be cannabis sativa, subspecies indica variety afghanica. And also incorrect is our commonly referred to term of sativa, which should be cannabis sativa, subspecies indica variety indica. So there's a lot more to dive into that, and we're all going to have to be adjusting these new terms. I mean, we already have a pretty big debate over indica and sativa and and whether or not with the fact that most of the stuff we have out there today is hybrid of some form anyway. But interesting article, the Tricom Institute, I give them credit for they they are really leading the way and keeping us up to date on modern research and all the wonderful things that are happening with this wonderful plant of cannabis, which... Now I realize that we may have been calling it the wrong thing all along. Now talk about an easy transition into another research study that we're talking about. This is from our friends at the Okanagan Sea Research to make cannabis and wine better. Well, let's see what that means. A pair of BC-led teams are working towards designs to harness the power and potential of bioinnovation to help the cannabis and wine industries, respectively. The two projects are jointly valued at more than $10 million. One of them will address a need to identify the desirable breeding traits, including resistance to powdery mildew infection, that current cannabis cultivars don't have. Called Fast-Track Breeding of Powdery Mildew-Resistant Cannabis, it's led by Lauren Reesberg and Marco Todesco from the University of British Columbia, along with industry partner Greg Bate from Aurora Cannabis. Genomic resources will be created that will allow the project team to characterize sources of genetic resistance to powdery mildew and begin to introduce them into Aurora's cannabis breeding program. Improved cannabis cultivars would result in reduced losses and increased quality. The breeding pipeline itself would be used in the future to identify other important production and high-value traits and to create superior cannabis cultivars, says Genome BC a second project by researchers from brock university and the university of victoria is to develop a rapid cost-effective genomic solution to replace the over 30 molecular and biological tests currently performed on grapevines to look for disease grapevine disease management has been identified by the grape grower and wine industries as a top priority for long-term sector sustainability estimated losses of over 23 million dollars are currently incurred annually by canadian grape growers due to reduced yield of infected grapes and increased fruit rejection by wineries. These projects are part of an announcement made Monday by William Amos, Parliamentary Secretary for Science, on behalf of the Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, Nabdeep Baines. So there you go, a brief look into some research currently being conducted across various areas of British Columbia, trying to make both cannabis and wine a little bit better for all of us. (laughs) And we're going to finish off today with a story from New Zealand that I find just a little bit surprising. After Canada went through legalization on October 17th in 2018, uh, 2 years ago, we just celebrated our second year anniversary. As many countries around the world were kind of watching our experiment, and New Zealand went through the polls, and their preliminary results show a slim majority of voters in New Zealand rejected the country's referendum on a proposed bill to legalize and regulate sales of adult-use cannabis. However, the official outcome will not be known until special ballots are tallied, which will not take place until next week. Now, those ballots cast by overseas voters, which are the military, prisons, and hospitals, they add up to an estimated 480,000 votes. Wellington-based business and economic research estimated a regulated adult-use cannabis market could generate roughly 1.5 billion New Zealand dollars. Provisionally, approximately 1.11 million voters supported the referendum to legalize recreational marijuana in New Zealand, and about 1.28 million were opposed. Since Friday's result is provisional, it is possible the next week's results could determine the final outcome. But Manu Kadi, Regulation and Innovation Lead for Rua Bioscience, said it is unlikely the special ballots will be enough to flip the vote for the yes side. To overturn the preliminary result will require the special votes to be at least 70% in favor, which seems unlikely but not impossible, he told Marijuana Business Daily. Local business leaders expressed disappointment with the referendum's outcome, but lauded the business opportunities in New Zealand's burgeoning medical market. The medical cannabis opportunity remains our focus as a business now and represents a huge opportunity for New Zealand in both economic terms and in terms of increasing patient access to valuable cannabis medication said Mike Breeze, Managing Director of Licensed Producer Pure Isolation in the Otago region. The conversations leading up to the referendum have improved awareness of the current availability and shown the overwhelmingly positive support for medicinal cannabis here in New Zealand, said Zoe Reese, founder and CEO of cannabis firm Aura Farm. The Electoral Commission had said it would count the referendum ballots after the October 17 vote to focus on parliamentary elections held the same day. The Labour Party, which won a commanding majority on October 17th, had promised to introduce the Cannabis Legalization and Control Bill into Parliament if a majority of voters supported the referendum. The proposed bill was released by the government earlier this year to give voters a clear picture of what they were voting for or against. So, a bit of a surprise in my mind that New Zealand so far looks like they are voting no against legalizing cannabis for recreational use in that country. If there is ever anything that you hear on the Cannabis Podcast you would like to comment on or somebody you think that we should be interviewing, let us know about that too. You can do so by sending a note to info at And you'll always find any links to the stories that we have talked about in any particular episode at the same place, CannabisPodcast.com. You'll find the links right near the particular episode you're looking for. And that wraps it up for episode 57 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis Infused Studio, high above the Okanagan Valley. This was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.